Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. set up a sound system in here, but I think, uh, I think I can talk loud enough for you. No one's ever said to me, speak up, John. <laughs> never, had that, never had that problem, <laughs> except Miss Donna. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as you know, in case you're just most of you know, but in case you're just joining us here, I will tell you that we have been studying the letters of the Apostle Paul in this Wednesday night uh, Bible study for how long? Huh? Well, there was dirt was invented, and then we went right into this Bible study, I think. That we uh, have been at it for several years, actually, and we've been going through, we went all through Romans, Galatians, went all through Hebrews, and then we went back to the prison epistles and did Ephesians and Philippians. And uh, I didn't do Colossians because Pastor Eric and I are going to do the book of Colossians just like we do here on Wednesday night on Sunday morning starting in July. Amen. That's going to be good. It's going to be real good. Uh, so I went ahead and started in 1 Corinthians a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. And uh, maybe it was maybe it's longer than that. Were we still in the other building? chapter 3, we finished chapter 2 last week, the Apostle Paul writes, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Wow. Have you noticed that it is possible to be born again, spirit-filled? These guys were all born again, spirit-filled. By the way, when you read about a letter written to the church at Corinth, he doesn't have to write it in there. It was assumed, but you need to hear me say it. This is the, uh, the apostle's letter to the spirit-filled, tongue-talking, charismatic, Pentecostal church at Corinth. They all were. He didn't have to call them that it was just assumed that they were all spirit-filled. And in fact, he does his greatest work on the gifts of the Spirit right here in just a few chapters. Okay? So these are, these are saved people. These are tongue-talking people. And yet, he calls them carnal. Not even making any exceptions. Kind of early on. He said, I couldn't teach you like I'd like to teach you. But spiritual people, I have to talk to you like you're carnal because you are carnal. Some theology, they're, they're going to tell you, if you're carnal, you're going to hell. Wait a minute. No, no, that doesn't mean you're going to hell because you're carnal. It means you need to grow. You need to grow. You just have to grow. It's possible. 
at the church that Paul established. <laughs> I mean, let me ask you a question. Could you get a better person to start your church? Uh, could, could there be a better person to start your church? Paul started this church, and he still calls them carnal. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to let anybody off the hook here, but I'm just saying, don't feel so bad. All oh, the world's terrible. Hey, 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 read the Bible. It was terrible then. Don't get this down in the mouth. All oh, the world's just terrible attitude. Don't get that. Don't do that. You act like you act, when you talk like that, you act like the gospel has lost its power somehow. Here's a fella that when he rides into a place like Corinth, the most pagan city, possibly the most pagan city of all the New Testament cities. He was right there with the worst. He rides into town. He and his entourage, we don't know how many there were, somewhere between 7 and 15 people probably. Paul, Timothy, a few others. They ride into town, walk into town, however they get there. Sometimes they sail in. They come into these towns, and they just start preaching the gospel of Christ. And they build a church. Let me tell you something. No city in America, no city in America is as pagan as Corinth was. Name a city that you think is really pagan. Come on, let's, let's, and I'll give you some numbers. Las Vegas, probably about one, one hundred as pagan as Corinth. Anybody got another one? New York. New York pagan. Probably about one one thousandth as 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 I'm not kidding. As pagan as Corinth. Dallas. About like Corinth. About, about the same. Dallas. No, I'm just kidding. I love Dallas. I'm just kidding. Yeah, they won't say New Orleans is is all horrible, horrible. Just a fraction of what San Francisco, just a fraction of what this was like. Let me tell you what Corinth was. Every person from the, every person on the city council, every person in the mayoral uh, lines, every person there was a pagan. Maybe sacrificing oftentimes, prostitute worshiping, blood drinking pagans. You know what a pagan is, right? Devil worshiping and proud of it. Multi-God worshiping. Public. It was the most despicable kind of lifestyle these people have. You think of something awful? Don't think of it. But if you did, they would have been practicing it. And Paul, you hear Paul going, oh, my city's so hard to minister in. Oh, there's such horrible things. Oh, there's a witch's coven in our town. I've heard that garbage forever. It's just one more sorry excuse not to grow. It's just one more sorry excuse not to have the power of God working in your life. Just one more reason why, you, you know, you want, you're powerless and want to stay that way. When Paul rode into town, there was no message and no lifestyle that could stand up to this gospel he preached. Mind the right house, I mean, this gospel has not lost its power. 
They all fall. They all bow. I don't care who wins the election. Jesus is still Lord. Glory be to God. And this message is still the strongest message in the history of the world. It will still create societies. I've been, I've been a study, a student of uh, church history and revivals for many years. Not just church history, but American history. I love American history. But I've been a student of church history and the history of revivals in our nation and in the world. And I found a dividing line between certain kinds of revivals that have gone on in the world. And I've got it solid in my mind after years of study. What the dividing line of a revival I'm not saying that that, that revivals aren't good. They are good. But not all of them are real moves of God. We all need reviving at times. But the dividing line is found in this thing. How long did its impact last? And I found among spirit-filled people, they glorify two revivals, two revivals, of the three that are most often talked about amongst spirit-filled people, and only one of them was a true move of God. Changed the world forever, and it's still changing the world. The other two didn't. A so-called second great awakening that happened in the second half of the 19th century, led primarily by a guy by the name of Charles Finney. Great man, great ministry, great revivals followed him everywhere. It was not what you should call a move of God. It was not the second great awakening. There's only been one. That one wasn't because great revival. But you can't touch anything that it is still making happen today. Not one person I've ever talked to said, I asked what what came out of that is still going today was the so-called second great awakening. You tell me. Nobody can name it. way out of its bounds. Another one, the Welsh Revival, led by Evan Roberts. Great revival. But they glorify this thing as something we all ought to hold up as a standard. Name me one thing. Wales is full of bars today. It closed down all the bars at one time, but did it last? Did it keep going? Was it a true move of God? No. A real move of God changes the world forever. Martin Luther stood up and pounded his fist on that little that little castle church pulpit in Wittenberg, Germany, and wrote out a 95-point thesis and nailed it to that Wittenberg castle church door. He sparked something called the Reformation. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here tonight because of that. that the impact of that, that thing created what we know as Western civilization. How many of you think it's still happening? A true move of God. You can touch, you can touch nations that that thing built. Woo! Whoa! Governments that are still existing because of that revival. Oh, how about the first great awakening in the United States? The only real one. It's one that it wasn't even in the United States. It was in the colonies. Started in 1738. 
fellow by the name of George Whitfield landed in Savannah, Georgia in 1738, 25 years old, after they kicked him out of the Anglican Church for the heresy, they call it, of extemporaneous prayer. That is, he just prayed from his heart. <laughs> they wanted it all written down and submitted to the bishop first. He said, hang that noise, I know how to talk to God. <laughs> and when they wouldn't let him preach in church anymore, he got him a soapbox and went out preaching in the open air. He just happened to have a great big voice. They could hear him clear across town. They could hear him across the pasture. They could hear him everywhere. And when he, he came here to the United he came here to the colonies and built the built Bethesda's home for boys, the Bethesda home for boys in Savannah, Georgia, by the way, still in operation, has been continuously for over two hundred years. The oldest, oldest home for boys on this continent. Still going. Y'all have heard of the Great Awakening, of course, haven't you? Yeah, you know why? Because it formed, it created the nation you know as the United States of America. Ben Franklin said, George Whitfield has so embedded into the hearts and minds of the colonists the desire for freedom so as to make a revolution inevitable, meaning we were about to fight our way out from under tyranny and become our own nation. How many of y'all think that's still going on? We're talking about moves of God. There's another one you need to know about. A Bible-led preacher by the name of Patrick Seymour. William Seymour got spirit-filled in Houston, Texas, under Charles Parham's ministry. He led black people on out of Mississippi. He went to Los Angeles, California. Houston, he couldn't even go inside the church for fear that the church would be burned down because of the prejudice of the people. He went and found a little place out in Los Angeles, California. He actually was invited out there to a revival. And when they found out what he was preaching, they shut down the revival. The preacher shut down the revival and sent him down the street. And he found this little livery stable and turned it into a church. And he commenced to have his church. And pretty soon, Pretty soon people were coming from all over the world. I'm talking about big, big names, big money. They were coming to that little livery stable to experience the power of God that had been laid out for him. The baptism of the Holy Ghost and multiplied millions of people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And now it's, it's major document in just about every spirit-filled church. And many evangelical churches are recognizing it. And this thing is still going and it's still changing the world. The two largest churches in the world are tongue-talking churches. One of them nearly a million members. One of them is in Seoul, Korea, and the other one's in, in Argentina. How many of you think it's still going on? It's a movement worthy of talking about. It's good, isn't it? We glorify the things that are revivals and they could burn out. Mm. You get stuck there. You'll, you'll be big and you'll burn out. I believe that God has put it on my heart to be a part of a movement that starts finishes in and around the teaching, the hardcore teaching of the Word of God so that people get so hungry for the Word of God to study the Bible and to hear the truth of the Word of God that it will create a world. Uh, why not? 
every, every movement has to start someplace. Why can't it start right here with us? Why can't it start with you? Glory be to God. Amen. I believe there's a day coming when people are getting so, going to get so hungry. They're going to get tired of believing what everybody's saying. So many books, so many opinions, so much internet, so much of it. Oh, just, and they said, isn't there anything that doesn't change? Isn't there any truth? People are going to get hungry for a truth that doesn't change every day or two. Woo, glory. Am I in the right house tonight? you with milk, he said, and not with meat, verse 2, for hitherto, or up until this point, you were not able to bear it, and you're still not able to bear it. Wow. Wow. For you are still carnal. Whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and point across to all of us. That divisiveness when it is not in check. I mean, everyone has different opinions. That's not what he's really talking about. He's talking about letting divisions come into them so that there's no longer fellowship with one another because they felt like their divisions were so big they couldn't trust one another's opinion anymore. And if you can't trust somebody's opinion anymore, you can't, you don't trust to speak to them. No one's speaking into your life if you think everything they're saying is wrong soon you have no relationship with them, you have no fellowship, and, they, and then, you know, if that keeps up, then you have no church. It's a sure sign of carnality. You find people bickering and fussing and arguing all the time in church, it's a sure sign that the church is carnal. It's a sure sign that church is carnal. And you know how to become a more mature believer in a local church, that when someone comes to you and says something like that, say, I'll tell you what, that person you're talking about is right over there. Let's go talk to them now. I want you to know that carnality goes away real, real quick. You and me, we're going to go talk to them right now. Hmm? That's what spiritual people do. Said it like this Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen. Why one said, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? I want you to hear this. This is such, such a powerful thought. These ministries were given to us. All to enjoy all these ministries. He, uh, verse 6, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Now I wrote something down here. God uses multiple ministries for the sake of increase. Increase and multiplication are always on his mind. I want you to say that with me. Increase and multiplication are always on his mind. God's looking for something that he can increase. 
With Apollos and Paul working together, God gave increase to them. The planting and the watering, God gave in. He gives increase when people dwell together in unity. Take your Bible quickly and turn to Psalm 133. You'll notice something. You know, I like this spot over here. There's cool air coming out of this magic box. Joyce, do you happen to have it there? And verses, would you mind reading that for us, please? Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Read on. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, down to the skirts of his garment. Oh, oh. Now, what he's saying here is that when brothers dwell together in unity, it's like the anointing. And what Paul's saying is, you people, with your division, you're not, you're not getting the flow of the anointing. You, you, have, you have all this knowledge in your head, but there's no spirit in the thing. Well, we had some spirit in the thing Sunday morning, didn't we? Glory to God. Woo! And, and if, you, if you're divisive, I don't care how much you know. If you're divisive over, over well, I, I, I'm a desperate scratch. You know, that, there's not going to be the flow of anointing. He said, good, how good and how, how, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil that was on Aaron. You know, Pastor Aaron, I've thought about that all through the years. I've tried my best to find some comparisons, some similarities between anointing oil and unity. smell. Unity doesn't slick down your hair. Unity doesn't isn't hard to wash off. Huh? I really don't find any of the similarities between unity and anointing oil unless what he's saying is Whatever the anointing will do, unity will do. If the anointing destroys the yoke, unity will flourish, cause the anointing to flourish, and that destroys the yoke. On the day of Pentecost, they were together together in one place, and they were in one, not a, not a tiny little Honda, they were in one accord. Right? They were in Wanaka, they were in agreement, they were in unity, and the greatest anointing that, that the world had ever seen were just poured out on them. And God's people decide that we're going to be in unity. Now, let me 
me say, this is not unity at all costs. I've been invited to pastor's meetings before. And if you want to experience unbelief on steroids, just go to where a bunch of preachers are gathered together most of the time. Woo! No wonder the church is in the shape it's in. I've never heard such mealy mouth, crybaby, wine bagging going on in all my life and sitting with a bunch of preachers. And that's not everywhere, and that's not all of them, but I've been in meetings. I mean, I'm just telling you, that's just going to these meetings, and some of them sit around, and all they want to talk about is how bad things are at their town, how things are not going good in their church, complaining and griping about their people. And, man, the whole time, all I want to do is just say, well, why don't you go back home to your mama, you big pansy? what I want to do, but I do realize that the preachers get their feelings hurt, just like everybody does. And not everybody's had the access to the word of faith that I've had. I was taught good, praise God. Not everybody has had that, but I just don't know how to go to preachers' meetings because you can't just have unity because, oh, well, we're just going to get together. We're all a bunch of preachers. Hey, listen, I know pastors in cities that are pastoring churches that aren't even saved. first such and such church called me in San Angelo, Texas one time. She said, Pastor John, I really wish you'd meet our pastor. Who was the tall gal that came to Christ Relations in school? It was her mama. Way back there when you were a kid. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, her mama called me and she said, Pastor John, I re- really wish you'd meet our, our new pastor. I said, oh yeah? Why is that? She said, oh, I think, she said, he's just a great guy. She said, I think he's actually saved. Done with my hand. I said, you think he's actually saved? I said, well, of course he's saved. He's your pastor. She said, well, the last one wasn't. I said, are you kidding? She said, no, he didn't believe in anything the Bible said. I said, what do you mean? He didn't believe in virgin birth. He didn't believe in the miracles of the body. He didn't, didn't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. It's all a bunch of you that didn't believe in anything. Yeah, I said, well, what do you preach about? She said, I don't know. What I wanted to ask, but I didn't ask, is why the heck you stay there? I guess he's waiting on this table to come, and he did. He's a good guy. Not only was he saved, but he was baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues. And he's the first guy I ever heard. He was a really wonderful guy. First guy I ever heard say, and these, we th- these things we ask in the matchless name of Jesus. Man, that's powerful. I've got to say that. Not everybody, I mean, you can't just have unity with somebody because they got a title, right? Maybe some ecumenical meetings, that's what it is. Well, I have to do with this. Let me tell you how, how the Lord wants us to have unity. Paul in Ephesians chapter that we should strive for the unity of faith. That's going to come one way. It doesn't come a whole bunch of ways. It doesn't come because you want it to come. It doesn't come because you march in the streets for it to come. It doesn't come because the preachers all get together and pray together. That's not what's going to make it come. Faith comes one way, and the unity of faith comes one way. 
by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It, doesn't, it, it won't fall out of the sky on you. There's not going to be some meteor ship, a meteor uh, uh, arrive, a meteorite land or a, our spaceship arrive with a package of unity for the body of Christ. It's just not going to happen that way. It comes one way. It comes by faith. And the unity of the faith is what God's always after, that we, that we, that we believe God the same way. Not, not, not that we say, we believe, it, we believe the miracles of the Bible happened, but we don't really believe they happened now. That's, you're never going to get anywhere with that. Because you can't say, I believe, I don't anybody hear me. Some of you have heard this before. You cannot say, I believe the miracles of the Bible happened, but they don't believe they happened now. Because... The definition of what faith is, now faith is the substance of things. Which direction does that go? It's out there in front of you, isn't it? It's not back there behind you, is it? It's out there in front of you. Everybody point out in front of you. That's the direction of hope. I can't say I hope the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl last year. I can't even say I wish they had. That's, a, that's, that's not going to help anything. All that is regret talking. And I've had a few regrets in my life. And faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith is not the substance of things that once were. You cannot say, I believe the miracles of the Bible, and say, I don't believe in them now. No, you never, you don't believe in any of them. That's the problem. You heard the word, but you refuse to believe it. The only way you can say I believe the miracles of the Bible is you've got a hope that's pointing you for them in your own life. You got that? It's a, it's a huge hypocrisy in the church. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about in the church world system-wide. You get away with it because of false teaching and false teaching. And we believe it did happen, but we don't believe they do happen. You have nothing to do with faith. You're only saying, I know the facts. I know the facts, but I have no faith working in it for me. Wow. Just making sense to you. I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible teaches us. Faith works that direction, not that direction. We hear the message, and it brings faith for our own. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So I just want to say to you, keep your focus on Jesus. Do not let your view of ministry or ministries be based in personalities. All ministries are given to show you Jesus. I, I, I've heard people say, well, I don't think one preacher ought to criticize others. Well, then you won't like Jesus at all. You won't like him at all. You read the red. Oh, did he criticize the preachers. Up one side and down the other. You won't like Paul. Man, did he criticize preachers. I can't help myself. I do it sometimes because I read this book and all of my heroes did it. 
There's a real reason why. You've got re- you to keep reading this. Listen. Verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. This is a powerful New Testament teaching. You, you, you get what you labor for. For we are laborers together with God. Ye, you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. That means you are God's garden and you're God's house or his temple. You're God's garden where he plants his seed. God's not just out there scattering seed all over the world. In the natural, yes, but not in the spirit. He's planting his seed in you. You are his garden. That's why it's so important to stay in church so God can plant seed in his garden. If the garden doesn't show up, huh? He's not going to get to plant in his garden. If you don't assemble with the garden, anybody hearing me? Now listen, you're God's garden and you're God's house. Then he picks that idea up, that house business, that building says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. The foundation of everyone's doctrine must be Paul's revelation. That's why I've said this to you over over again. If you do not have the revelation of the Apostle Paul firmly in the foundation of your understanding, your scriptural understanding, you will be one messed up puppy. You will never know what the Bible's talking about until you know what Paul had to say. Because you'll believe that you're supposed to be circumcised on the Sabbath. You'll believe you're supposed to go to church on Saturday. You'll believe that you can't eat pork. shrimp. And I've just got one thing to say to that. If that's what you believe, you can't be late. I'm not a Jew. My heart is, but the rest of me is Gentile. Well, if the Apostle Paul changed his name from Saul to Paul, a Roman name, not a, not a, not a Greek name, which would have been tolerable. Could have been a Hellenist. They changed the name to a Roman name. Guys who who almost invented paganism. Hmm? If he did that, he's letting us know. There's parts about Judaism that were against us, the ordinances, the laws. That's what that is evil. You're not required to do that. You're required to love God with all your heart. Hallelujah. 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 You are required to take care of your temple. But Defilement of a temple has nothing to do with your personal choices. In the context of this entire chapter, I'm going to teach you some things tonight that you may never have even heard. Let me help you. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you cannot properly get on the foundation of Jesus Christ without Paul putting you there. Everybody hear me? properly get on the foundation of Jesus Christ and start building your life 
until Paul put you there. If you're stuck in John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born again. Well, God bless you. I'm thankful you got born again. But you really need to get over on Paul's revelation and find out who you are in Christ. Find out all that God, all that God did when Jesus died for you and all he helped you to become. All he wants for your life. Amen. Amen. You have more than enough because, because the revelation that came to the Gentiles was, you know, most of the apostles weren't even shaking hands with them. Did you know that? You meet Peter on the street, he doesn't shake hands with you. I know that hurt your feelings. You met James and John on the street, he's not shaking hands with you. Uh-uh. He said, oh, Pastor James, come over to my house. I'm saved. I speak in tongues. Yeah, but that would do. Yeah, well, get Paul to come to your house. He wouldn't do it. Peter had to have three, three visions and an angelic visitation where he went before he would go. And then he later withdrew again. told us Gentiles could come in. You know what happened to Peter? Paul jumped all over that. But the truth was, he didn't have a revelation for the Gentiles. And Galatians chapter 2 says it real clear. Peter, James, and John were to go to the circumcision as were the Jews. Paul would go to the Gentiles. Come on, look around and say, that's you. You know, Gentiles come in every shape, size, description, description, color, and language. Amen. Amen. If any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, that's a sorry building. Build a foundation for the Empire State Building. You build a straw shack on it. That's like hooking the Secretariat up to a trash wagon. Mick Brown pulling a track right now. Well, after that third verse, maybe. Huh? This doesn't seem appropriate to have this great foundation of Jesus Christ and build wood and hay and stubble on it. But he's not talking about you building it. He's not talking about you building on your own foundation. He's still talking about what ministry is going to build on you. what you do with God's building. I'm listening, Lord. <laughs> yeah, I am. That's why I take you through it line by line. All right, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, this is talking about all of us in some sense because this is found in other places like in 2 Timothy chapter 5 talking about all of us being judged
judge for whatever we do. Okay? But both things are true. If any man's work abides, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let me say something to you about this trial by fire. It's not talking about hell. This is talking about our God being a consuming fire. It's talking about God being a consuming fire. And in case no one has told you lately, you will be judged. And you will be judged on the basis of what you do. You will be judged on the basis of how well you perform. Your works will decide your rewards. Now, am I talking to you about working your way into heaven? No, I'm not talking about that. Righteousness comes one way, by faith, glory be to God. This is talking about what happens when believers stand before the Lord Jesus for their own judgment. It's not talking about your entrance into heaven. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about what happens when you stand there. And may I say to you, it's a stern warning, ladies and gentlemen, here. can't change that once you get there. Everything that you're going to have forever. Everything that you're going to have forever. Let me try this again. Everything that you're going to have forever. on the basis of what you did here. Wow. Wow. You mean, you mean they're just going to roll a film? Go rewind it? Roll a film? Yep, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to re-roll the film. You mean all the sins too? I, I confessed them. No, 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 no. They'll just be blank spots there. If you confess them, you know, you know what I'm saying? They'll just be blank spots there. <laughs> Nobody will say a word. Jesus isn't going to say anything because he promised he'd never remember it again. He'll be looking at the film going, hmm. missed a lot of opportunities there. say forever. What you get forever. No changing it there. Has to happen here. Forever. Don't often talk like this. I'm not talking about how you go to heaven. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking to believers here. You will be judged. You will be judged. And you will be judged and rewarded on the basis of thankful now that you showed up on, at church on Wednesday night. Hallelujah. See, they're, they're keeping good records in heaven. They're watching. They know you drove right past a bar to get here. They know you drove past a, a pool hall to get here. They know you drove right past the gambling casino.
seen over in the, and the, and the bingo hall and that goes past the putt-putt and, and the golf course past where everybody gets here. They know you. They know you went past all those places that you, that you really used to love to go. They're keeping good records. God loves you. He loves you. I'm telling you, growing up in church is a pretty good gift. Just being in church and letting God plant in his family. That help you tonight? Make you want to be faithful, doesn't it? Make you want to drag people to church. Are you kidding me? See them on Sunday morning and say, are you kidding me? You are not going to Bible study on Wednesday night? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'm coming to get you. <laughs> Just tell them. I'm not going to let you be shining my shoes in heaven. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps it's, you know, I don't know. But I, I do know that if there's rewards and there's levels, if there are bigger angels, more powerful angels, and we're going to be given our rewards forever, What's it going to be? Is heaven a communist state? No, I think it's a little bit more free market than that. If you're going to be rewarded on the basis of what you do, that's not communism. That's free market. <laughs> Come on, somebody say amen. It's not too late to change things. Not too late to get committed. I mean, you know, I feel silly preaching to the choir here. You all are here on Wednesday night. But the message you might need to preach to your brothers and sisters. do to ask, huh? No, you're not. I, I, I will finish in just a minute. No, you're not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. He's not just talking about the defilement that you might bring. He's talking about, talking about me. He's talking to the preacher. Eighteen. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in the world, in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness 
with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, but they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. If you will be a lifelong student, even when you think, on any subject, if you'll make yourself be a lifelong learner and listen when people speak to you. Be a lifelong learner. Find a friend. Find, get, get next to somebody who, who, who knows something that you know nothing about. I don't care if they're 18 years old. By the way, these days with technology like it is, we, you know, we can learn something from these 18 years. He said, Pastor, what do you think we ought to do about this? I said, well, I think we ought to do this and that. And he said, man, that's good. He said, I never even thought about that. He was asking something about the church. He said, what do you think about that? I said, well, I, I'm not sure yet, but, it, you know, I'm waiting on direction from the Lord. But I do believe that we we'll probably do this and this and this. Really? Man, that's a good idea. I never even thought about that. I looked at him and I said, brother, you know why you hadn't thought about that? Because God is not likely to use you to tell me how to run the church. It's like he's not likely to tell me how to run your business. He said, I never thought about that. I said, that's part, that's part of the problem with most, with most of the church world is that businessmen in boardrooms back are, are raking the preacher over the coals to make them run the church the way they run their business. general will apply to the things concerning the church and our ministry. Just like you sit here right now, you've heard things from me that are going to help you in your ministry. I'm not going to tell you how to apply them. I'm not going to say, now you go out there and you do this. When you you put that paste on that envelope, whatever it is they do down there at that company, I'm not going to tell you how to do that. But in general principles, everybody hearing you, it helps you build So, and if you have any, if you have an opinion for me or something, you, I, I'm open to it. I, I mean, but you know, I may not use it. Brenda and I had a conversation a few years ago. As you know, Brenda has a strong prophetic gift. Works in her, and she was just you know, looking for direction as to how to be used of God in this church.
not God said it. So you just have to leave it to me to test going out over this congregation. My son, you know, who got really offended by it, was chasing him down the street, halfway down the street, you know, breaking him. Pastor Aaron's doing a lot better nowadays than he was back then. Don't you come back here, huh? Well, whether Paul, all things are yours, he says. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. you to be able to see Jesus. That's why we have multiple ministries ministering here on a regular basis. That's why I'm not the only guy that preaches in here. Because you don't just need Pastor Jesus. You need Apostle Jesus. You need the Prophet Jesus. You need the Evangelist Jesus. You need the Teacher Jesus. Hallelujah. And whatever of those that I, 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 I'm not fluent in, well then we, we bring those ministries in and they, the Lord uses people right here interested in you seeing Jesus. Not some personality, but Jesus. I like to think of myself as a sheep with a bell on one of the One of the flock is like you are, but Jesus shows himself in his people. Ministry to him. This is in view of Christ's this garden, this garden that receives seed, and I ask that you bless them. Thank you for this time that we've spent around the Word of God, and I believe that this seed will fall on good soil, and it will bring forth some 30, some 60, some 100 fold as you promised, and that those who 
and need in their relationships that they'll receive a harvest of good relationships. I, I, I pray for those that have come here hurting in their hearts, hurting uh, in their minds, that they'll, they'll receive a harvest of health for their hearts and minds. I, for those who've come here in bondage in their bodies tonight, that, that they'll, they'll leave here totally free because of the seed that's planted in their heart. In Jesus' name, for those who are in, in desperate need, in desperate situations, you're the God who creates miracles in desperate situations. You're the God who makes a way where there does not seem to be a way. Hallelujah. And for that, I thank you tonight that this seed into our hearts is growing to produce fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember, what's one of the ways? What's one of the ways you, you, you uh, produce fruit for His glory? One of the one things we talked about last week, I think it was. I had several people say to me after I taught that, when you receive His blessings, when you receive answers to prayer, that's that's a fruit producer to God. Remember John 15, 7 and 8. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Right? In its context, bearing fruit isn't just winning souls or speaking in tongues or having all the fruit of the Spirit. It's getting your prayers answered. To God, that's fruitfulness. Wow, that's awesome. So he wants you to get your prayers answered. Amen. He wants you to have benefits of this covenant working in your life. That's so good, so good. Amen. Well, I think that's it. All I have to say. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.